Hey, this is Jim Fleming, and this is the Stuart Heights Fleming Sunday School Class Podcast. This podcast is a recording of our weekly Sunday School Class, as well as a few other teaching opportunities I get at my church. But before you listen further, you may want to go to teachings.jim314.com and download the student and or teacher handouts so you can follow along visually and take some notes. Thanks for listening. Come back often, and feel free to add this podcast to your favorite podcast app or to iTunes. Now let's get to this week's lesson. Good morning, everybody. Let's start this morning with our uh, scripture memory passage review. We got 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26. So any of those verses that you might know? We've got two. Anybody else? Going once, going twice. All right, Miss Darley, you ready? I have a disclaimer. You have a disclaimer. I might get off in the middle and have to not get off in the middle. That's not cool. All right. Oh, her translation is going to mess you up. All right. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. Yes. That the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which was broken for you. Yeah. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, Good. he also took the cup yep. after supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink this, remember me. And then it starts to get a little repetitive, but that's okay, because we're slow and we need repetition. Right? There you go. There you go. Nice job. Holy cow. Get the hand. That was a high bar. No pressure. That was a high bar. You think you can get that? We'll see if it's a good morning or just a morning, right? All right, here we go. Let's do it. Four. For what I received from the Lord, in which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. Yes. And when he gave thanks, he broke it, saying, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Yes. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he took the cup after supper, saying, This is the new covenant in my blood. Yes. This do, as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Nice job. Excellent. Cool. So for those of you that are new or haven't been uh, to my class in a while, we do Scripture memory verses to start. And for every verse that you can say, uh, you get a prize off of the prize table, which is a whole bunch of CDs and books and cool stuff that I go to Lifeway and just, they like to see me come. So it's a good day for everybody. But uh, we're in week eight of our uh, sixth part of systematic theology. I didn't bring the book today. I probably should have brought the book today, but we're crossing over page 940, I think, or so in the book, so making pretty good progress. Uh, But what we have looked at so far in this doctrine of the church is um, 
We've looked at true and false churches. We looked at definition of a church. We looked at purity and unity in the church. We looked at officers of the church and church government structures. Uh, we looked at ways in which God gives grace to individuals. And this is really the slide that I'm going to leave up uh, the majority of class today. Because we've talked quite a bit about how does God actually give grace into people's lives. So most Protestants would believe these are things that are outcomes from a life that has been redeemed. Uh, and most Catholics would believe that these are ways that God works grace into the life of a person to secure salvation at the end of a life. So this is a, um, a, a kind of working towards salvation, and this is an outcome of salvation. So two radically different views of theology. And what we've done in the last few weeks is we've looked at a few of these things. So we looked at baptism one week, we looked at the Lord's Supper one week, and today we're going to look at worship which we would say is when we come together as part of the body of Christ and worship in a congregational gathering type format, that that is one of the ways that God gives grace to us and encourages us in those events. Does that make sense? Yes. yes? You with me? All right, let's get started. So uh, Grudem is going to be switching around words here a lot. Uh, I I typically think he does a great job writing. This particular chapter, if you happen to read it, he needed an editor. And his editor took the week off this week when he needed to edit this chapter. So he, he jumps around a lot as far as definitions of words. So I'm going to try to keep us uh, a little more streamlined. I cut probably 40 to 50% of what he had in the lesson out of what's on your handout. So to try to keep it narrow. So here's your first definition. Worship is the activity of glorifying God in his presence with our voices and hearts. All right, so if you've got your hand out in front of you, the highlighted parts are the portions of the Bible that we're going to go and we're going to look up. So the first highlighted section that you see, that's the first Bible passage that we're going to go to. So that's Exodus 7, verse 16. So let's set a little context here. So Exodus 7. We're in the book of Exodus. So what's going to happen in the book of Exodus? The Exodus, yes. We're leaving somewhere, right? We're leaving Egypt. We had a long period of captivity. We're going to leave Egypt. And this is the famous scene where Moses comes up to Pharaoh and says, let my people go, right? And, and there's a reason that God told Moses to go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And the reason is in Exodus 7:16. And Stephen is about to burst through himself if he doesn't get to read this. So go for it. And thou shalt say unto him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me unto thee, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. That they may, what? Serve, serve me. What does your translation say? Worship. worship. How many say serve? How many say worship? Who's right? Yes, they're both. Yes, good to go serve in a worship capacity in the wilderness. The, the reason God wanted to get the children of Israel out of Egypt was for worship. Now think about that. How, how big a, we're going to move a million plus people so that they can go and worship God. That's, that's a big deal, right? I mean, do, do we think of worship as that significant? They go, oh, yeah, that's something we do on Sunday morning together. That's cool. Yay. We're going to go move a million people to go and worship. Now, were there a lot of other things that God was going to do through the Exodus? 
Yes, absolutely. But the tactical, immediate first thing that they were supposed to go do was get in the wilderness and then worship the Lord, which is kind of cool. So this idea of worship is not a New Testament thing. It is a very, very old, old concept. Um, you can look at uh, Isaiah 43, 6 and 7. Isaiah 43, 6 and 7. Now put a quote on your handout in that next, uh, next to that next blank. Uh, has anybody ever read the Westminster Larger Catechism? A long time. How many of you read it a long time or had it taught to you a long time ago? There we go. That's probably more likely. Great document. Fantastic, distilled, clear, succinct teachings on what Christianity is. And, and catechisms get a really bad rap most of the time because they are described over here in the Catholic column. Here's what a catechism is. A catechism is a series of questions and answers to help teach people basic truth. And when I say it that way, you go, oh, well, that makes sense. Yeah, and we all do this with people that we know. Right? We all do this. If you have kids, you do this a lot, over and over, and the same questions and the same answers. Do we play in the street? No, we don't play in the street. No. Do we touch the stove? No, we don't touch the stove. And one of the questions in the Westminster Larger Catechism is what is the, anybody know the question I'm about to ask? The chief end of man. And the chief end of man is glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Right? That's the, what's in there. So Isaiah 43, 6 and 7. Who's got it? Should have given you enough time to scroll through to Isaiah. Did you get the joke too? There we go. Okay. I was waiting for it. Sorry. Mitch got it, but he was like, I'm not laughing. That's just too bad. <laughs> I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory, who I formed and made. Yeah, so God is going to have a period of time where he gathers and gathers and gathers and gathers, and it is for his glory so that those gathered can worship Him. The, I almost wonder sometimes if the whole story of the Bible is not God gathering His people for His own glory. Right? I mean, it kind of feels like what it is, right? We, we wander around and wander around and wander around and disobey. He gathers up and He reminds and we scatter. We wander around, wander around and disobey. We gather together and we gather together. But there'll be a gathering at one point where there won't be any more wandering, which is really, really good. Because the story for the believer only ever gets better. It is a great, great story. So Ephesians 1, 11 through 12. Ephesians 1, 11 and 12. You got it? Awesome. In whom also we were made a heritage, having been foreordained according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we should be into the praise of his glory, we who had before hoped in Christ. Absolutely. To the end. So the point of it all is that we have praise in His glory. Because when He gathers us together, the point of it all will be worship of His name. Which is really awesome. <laughs> because if He said the point of it all is that God's bank account get bigger. Is that, like, is that what we're about? That stinks, right? That feels deficient as far as an answer. This is about something significant. So here's your blank. You thought I skipped a blank, didn't you? Let's skip the blank. Worship is a direct expression of our ultimate purpose for living. Now, for those of you wondering who Grudem is, this is Wayne, Dr. Wayne Grudem. Uh, he wrote the textbook that we're going through. 
Uh, I would encourage you to get a copy of it uh, and, and soak and soak and soak. So here's your next blank. God is worthy of worship and we are not. Yes, we are not. So Revelation 22, 8 and 9. Who's got that? This is one of my favorite uh, passages uh, because we get confused about what is important and I love it when we see people in the Bible who are really significant people in the Bible who also get confused about what is important. And it, it makes me feel like I can relate to them just a little bit more. And John has one of these moments here. Now I, John, saw and heard these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. And then he said to me, see that you do not do that. For I am your fellow servant and of your brethren and prophets and of those who keep the words of this book, worship God. I, so, so everything in the scripture occurred or will occur, right? And, and sometimes I just wish that I knew the tone with which things were said because I just don't feel like it was, oh, no, 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 don't do that. I got to feel that it was, oh, 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 you're worshiping the wrong thing here, right? This is, this is the wrong direction. Can you read what he said again one more time? See that you, see do, that you do not do see that. that. You do not, do that. <laughs> you not get the humor in this? This is fantastic, right? And this is John. This is the guy who wrote... The Gospel of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and Revelation. So he had some insight into what was going on with the reality of the world and still wanted to fall down and worship an angel. You know why? Because we will worship anything that is bright and shiny right in front of us. We will. That's just that's what we do, uh, unfortunately. And we need to be reminded, don't do this. It, it almost reminds me of when uh, Jesus ascends... And the disciples are, I'm closing my eyes because I can, I've always pictured the scene. It's a very specific way in my head. He ascends, the disciples are standing around, they're all going. And the angel comes and he says, you men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing into the heavens? Know you not that Jesus is gone <laughs> and he's going to come back. Go, <laughs> right? Get busy. You're, you're staring at the wrong thing. And we do this sometimes. We stare at the wrong thing. Uh, it's because God is worthy of worship and we are not. Uh, Exodus 20, 1 through 5. Exodus 20, 1 through 5. Great attendance this morning, by the way. Kudos to the class on showing up and inviting. So, faith here. Exodus 20, 1 through 5. Yes, sir. It says, And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven, above or on the earth, beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation for those who hate me. Yeah, that stove is hot. Do not touch that stove. Right? That, that, is some, that is some serious problems there. I am a jealous God. Uh, I heard, uh, we went through 1 John uh, on Wednesday nights a few weeks ago in the sanctuary. And John Pike, one of our Sunday school teachers at the Chattanooga campus, uh, talked about how God has, uh, he desires an unparalleled relationship with his creation. It is not a, oh, God's a 10, but this over here is a 4 or 5, and, and he's okay with that. No, no. We are all in or we are not. 
So I'll give you an example of this. So Julie, that's my wife. Isn't she awesome? Uh, you are a 10. There is nobody else. Nobody else. Except for this one uh, lady at work. And she's, she's okay. She's like a 7. Like, I mean, she's not... How, yeah. <laughs> did, how, how did that sound? How did that sound? I was doing really well there for just a second, right? Yeah. And then I made a comparison. And there's just no comparison with God. It's either all him or he's jealous. And, and I love that comparison because I had not thought about it that way in a very tactical, tangible way. So when I heard John Pike give that example, I went home that night and I did exactly what I just did in front of you all to Julie. And, and the reaction was not the same. Um, so she's had a chance to filter and practice and we've gotten better at that. So that, I appreciate you doing the Sunday school version of that, babe. Thanks. Um, whew, good stuff. God is worthy of our worship and we are not. It is okay. Isaiah 48, 11. Isaiah 48, 11. Excellent. Ms. Sherry? For my own sake, for my own sake, I will do it. I'm sorry, did you repeat yourself? Yes. Why did you repeat yourself? Because the Bible. Because God repeated himself, right? Yeah. Start over for me, if you would. For my own sake, for my own sake, I will do it. For how shall my name be profaned? And I will not give my glory to another. I will not give my glory to another. Um, we teach our children to share, right? You get a new shiny toy, you're supposed to share, and it's good, and it's good, and it's good. Uh, God doesn't share his glory. It is his, and it is his alone, and it belongs to no one else. Even the created beings that he made that look really amazing, that must be utterly terrifying. Because every time an angel shows up in the Bible, the first three words out of their mouth are, like, chill, <laughs> relax, breathe. <sighs> Fear not, it's okay, right? This is all right. These amazing beings don't deserve worship. Only God, because He doesn't share. What did the verse start with twice? Um, my, for my own sake. Yeah, because we, we, we are slow, and we need to be, have things repeated to us. For his sake, for his sake. And then Revelation 4.11. You got it? Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Yeah, which is kind of cool, right? So you, you look around the universe and you go, so who's the biggest, baddest most important, baddest is probably the wrong term. Who's the greatest in the universe? It was not Muhammad Ali. It was not. It was the one who imagined all things, designed all things, spoke all things, formed us with his hands. And then, oh, by the way, he sustains it all too. Because mathematically speaking, there's no reason that the universe should hold together. It should fly apart, but it doesn't. Because Jesus somehow holds it all together, which I think is pretty impressive. And he will hold it all together until one day when he doesn't, and it will end with a big bang that is much worse than the one that some people think that it started with. So it's coming. It's coming. Because God is worthy of worship, and we are not. So that's the definition and purpose of worship. So we'll translate, transition a little bit here to the results of genuine worship. So what happens when we worship? 
Like, how, how does this tactically work? So, number one, we delight in God, yes. It's very important that we get the words right on these blanks because you can end up with some really bad theology if you switch these up. So, we delight in God. So, Psalm 27, 4. You got it? Whoop. Awesome. Oh, there we go. Is she going to read it to me? That's amazing. <laughs> like, I've heard of, like, baby Einstein stuff, but this is really impressive, so... One thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my mm-hmm. life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in His temple. Y'all know I'm a big pushover, right? May dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Mm-hmm. Thank you for starting her early. <laughs> Thank you. Um, who wrote that psalm? Anybody know? David didn't write them all. But did David write this one? He wrote that one. Yes, he did. Were there ever days where David didn't dwell in the house of the Lord? Uh, Yeah, there's a few. There's a few really bad ones. There were days where he lived in caves for months and months because he was being hunted because he was doing things that sometimes were good and sometimes were very bad. And uh, he wanted to dwell in the house of the Lord, delighting in God. Uh, Number two, God delights in us. So the results of genuine worship are God delights in us, which if there's a mind-blowing component to today's lesson, I think this is it. Uh, Genesis 1.31, day one, God said that it was good. Day two, good. Day three, day four, day five, good. And day six is verse 31. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Yeah. And what did he do on the sixth day? He created us. He, God made me. Yes, that's the Puggles answer, right? That's absolutely right. God made us. And when God made us, it changed his view on the universe. Think about that. When God made us, it changed his view of the universe. That's pretty cool, Right? If you want something to tweet from today's lesson, there you go. There's your tweetable line, all right? Beautiful, beautiful stuff. Isaiah 62, 3 through 5. Now, the Genesis verse is for all of humanity, right? These Isaiah verse and the Zephaniah verse are going to be specifically for the Jewish people, but I think there is a context in which they are true for all of Christianity. So I want to put the preface here. I'm trying not to cherry-pick verses. Uh, Isaiah 62, 3 through 5. Who's got it? I love having a lot of options this morning. This is awesome. Zeke, you got it? Cool. You were making eye contact, so I just assumed you did. So. Yes. You shall also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord, and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no longer be termed forsaken, nor shall your land any more be termed desolate. But you shall be called Hefzibiah. Oh, yeah. Some of the translations just use the translation and not the actual word. So sorry about that. Awesome. Good and job. your land, Eula. For the Lord delights in you. For the Lord what? Delights in you. And your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a virgin, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride. Now, there's a visual for you, right? (laughs) This is really good. 
This is delight. This is, some of you would go, we need a better word than delight. This is, <laughs> this is really amazing stuff. Yes, the Zephaniah passage. Zephaniah, what do we got? 317. 317. Yes, sir, you got it? Yeah. Awesome. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. He will what? He will sing. He will sing. He will rejoice over thee with joy. I like that. He put joy twice in one clause. And then he comes back and he says, He will joy over thee with singing. When God sings, he is so happy about you. Isn't that amazing? Like, it instantly makes me wonder, you know, what does God singing sound like? Amazing. Amazing. There you <laughs> Thank you for not letting that hang out there very often, very long. <laughs> Obviously, it is amazing. God delights in us. Mind blown. Uh, so a couple other results of genuine worship. Uh, we draw near to God, which is awesome. Now, if you think about in the Old Testament, uh, the, the framework, the structure that God had put in place, which was there is a building that you go to to worship God. And in that building is access that is restricted, right? And only on certain days can certain people go in that building and worship God because you don't just get to walk off in there. And there's one day of the year where one man goes in and does one very specific thing. That's it. And that was as close as you could get to the physical presence of God. And then Jesus. And it's beautiful. And Jesus shows up and Hebrews explains to us what's going on here. So Hebrews 10, 19 through 22. Everything changes. That veil that is torn that separates the Holy of Holies from the, the inner circle, uh, the inner portion of the, the temple, is a big, big deal. A really big deal. In, in Exodus, it's described, uh, is it Exodus or Leviticus? Where it's described how they put it together. It's Exodus where they describe Yeah, yeah, because he gets him in the... Yeah, that makes sense. This makes a lot of sense, right? So he tells them to get out of Egypt to go and worship, and that's why he tells them all the commands to go and build the tabernacle, because this is why I brought you out here. You're watching your Sunday school teacher put things together. That's awesome. Cool. All right. The sequence made a lot more... I've never really... I could never reconcile why that... Good. This is very helpful. The veil. All right, I was like, where was that? The veil. The veil was a series of very thick animal skins put on top of each other and sewn together and put on top of each other and sewn together and put on top. I mean, this was, this was not uh, a discount shirt at the mall that you got that was, you know, nice see-through. No, 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 no. Heavy, heavy, thick stuff. Multiple feet tall. Strong, strong material. And when Jesus died on the cross, what happened to the veil? It was torn from top to bottom. You could not tear this thing from the top to the bottom. If you walked into the Holy of Holies and started ripping on the veil, what do you think Yahweh is going to do? You're not going to end well, right? There's going to be a greasy spot or a black stain or something on the ground, and that's where so-and-so was, and that's why we don't touch the veil, right? And you end up with another rule in the Madrash, so that's the way that would work. The veil is torn, and Hebrews 10... 19 through 22 tells us what happens with that. You got it? I'm getting my exercise today. 
Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. So we get to go where we couldn't go without Jesus. Right? Because of what Jesus did, we can go to places where we could not go before. Better which than is Star Trek. Yes, this is better than Star Trek. Yes, it is. You made me hesitate, but yes, that is much better than Star Trek. All right. It is. To boldly go where we could not go before, Roddenberry was ripping off Hebrews. Holy cow. Isn't that awesome? Okay. All right. Sorry, I got it. Yeah. She started it. She mentioned it. Like Adam in the garden. It's her fault. Sorry. Yeah, yeah I'm the teacher. Right. I'm responsible. That's exactly right. I did. By a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having... His flesh represented... No, no, no. I, I got this backward. The veil was the shadow of the flesh of Christ to come. So this is what I have spent a few days thinking on. I hadn't wrapped my head around this one yet. I think this one is really complex. There is a lot of stuff going on here. That the veil was a shadow of Christ's flesh. So put that in the margin of your notes and go soak on that one for a couple weeks, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about that. Okay? okay? Come back to this. And having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Yeah. The sprinkling and the washing were things that the high priest had to do before he could go into the Holy of Holies. So all of that pictured something that Jesus was going to fulfill later on in history, which is a beautiful, beautiful thing. So we draw near to God. And number four, God draws near to us. God draws near to us. So James 4, 8. Anybody know this one off the top of your head? God draws near to us, James 4, 8. You will when, you, when we start reading it here in a second. You got it? Excellent. Yes, sir. Exodus and James. This man knows his Bible. <laughs> oh, come on, don't leave me hanging. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Yes, excellent. Good job. <laughs> the, the purify, the wash, the spring is the same here is that we have a responsibility before we just walk off into God's presence and be like, oh, we're, I'm here, whatever. No, there's a level of respect. There's a level of preparation. There's a level of cleaning that should occur before we engage in this because we're commanded to cleanse, right? Now, this is not cleanse in a sense of justify yourself from your sins. This is not working towards your salvation, Right? This is acknowledging that, that Jesus Christ paid the penalty for sin, but there is a process that we go through to cleanse ourselves before we come into the presence of God. And then number five, God ministers to us, which is, I think, amazing. So God ministers to us. Hebrews 4.16. Hebrews 4.16. Hebrews has a ton of stuff in this worship space. because it's The thing I love about it, Hebrews is almost like the key that unlocks a bunch of the imagery and activity in the Old Testament. Just If you want to understand the Old Testament, hang out in Hebrews for a while, and then jump over to Romans, and then come back to Hebrews. So, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Yeah. 
It didn't say, let us come boldly so that we can be frustrated or disappointed or let down or betrayed or discouraged, but that we may obtain mercy and find grace. Obtain mercy and find grace. This is how he does this. Worship. This is how he does this. All right, so uh, the eternal value of worship. Grudem has a long section where he rambles in this part, and I... Y'all are probably smarter than I am. I just didn't get it. It didn't make sense. So I just jumped straight to the Revelation passages because if it's what we're going to be doing at the end of all things, it feels like it makes it eternal value of worship. So I'm just going to hang out with that. So Revelation 4, uh, 8 through 11. Revelation 4, 8 through 11. So this is a couple verses before what we read earlier. And then 5, 11 through 14. And we'll just run through all of these. Now these are some of the verses where we sing. So... If you get excited, I'm going to give you permission to get up and get excited, so feel free. So, you got it? Yeah. Excellent. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings and full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they will never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, O Lord, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive the glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Amen. So what does heaven sound like? Revelation song. Sounds like the worship and praise of God. And when will it stop? Forever and ever and ever. Yeah. It's not going to stop. It's, it's the ultimate repeat. <laughs> repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat. Because infinite praise is the only way to adequately reflect the presence of God. When we, when we come into His presence, praise and worship is the only response. Nothing else, nothing else works. Did you read the chapter 5 as well? Chapter 5, 11 through 14? You got it? I got it. Awesome. Okay. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and 10,000 times 10,000. Which is a big number. Okay. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Isn't that awesome? So you got these four creatures that are doing the holy, holy, holy thing. you got the 24 elders around them, and you got an innumerable number of angels, and then, oh, by the way, everything else that ever was created is going to start praising God. I'm going to say that's a pretty cool day. How awesome is that? That's amazing. <laughs> Everything that can praise the Lord will praise the Lord. It is overwhelming. I... This is the reason for Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 exists for Revelation 4 and 5. He made it so it will praise Him. And everything in between is the story of how he reconciles. 
It's just, it's absolutely stunning. It is absolutely stunning. So, Grudem asked a question, and we're going to touch on this very quickly. How can we enter into genuine worship? Well, worship is a spiritual activity and must be empowered with the Holy Spirit working within us. <clears throat> Does this make sense? And then your next blank. Is there anything we can do to make worship more effective? We must remember that worship is a spiritual matter and the primary solutions will therefore be spiritual ones. They will be spiritual ones. So I do not have time to go through. I think there's a, a big slew of, yeah, there's a big slew of verses on your handout. That is a great set of um, verses to go through as far as self-examination before coming to worship the Lord. It is a great set of verses. If, if you need something to read on Sunday mornings before coming for congregational worship, that's a great set of verses. Just to hold the mirror up real close. Where am I at? How's this work? How are we doing? Self-examination, preparation, this is good. We get an opportunity to practice this stuff before Revelation 4 and 5, which I think is incredible. So... That's our Sunday school lesson today. That's, that, this is scratch and sniff worship, right? I mean, we just scratch the surface of worship. We're going to be doing this for all of eternity. That is awesome. That is absolutely awesome. So thank you for coming to Sunday school today. There is a memory verse at the bottom, um, the Revelation 4.11. So I, I fully expect a lot of people will be able to say this next week, so I'm making a Lifeway run this week, so I'll be restocking. Uh, and then the Holy, Holy, Holy Hymn. In the middle of your table is the weekly update. So if you've got something that you'd like us to pray about, we would love to pray about that. Please make sure you update any prayer requests. Uh, and then make sure that your name is at the bottom of the page for attendance. So for those of you that are new to Sunday School or haven't been in a while, thank you so much for coming. We do this every week. We would love to have you come back on a regular basis. So you have been invited. Thank you for coming. And uh, pray as a table, and then you are dismissed.